Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. Today's episode is with Carla Bachmuller. She lets us in on how she got started with the intuitive rider and a bit about her journey coming from Germany to the U.S. So, hope you enjoy. Let's get started. So, who are you? I'm Carla Bauchmüller, and I know my last name and my accent give me away. I grew up in Germany and have loved horses and animals all my life. Yeah, and where exactly in Germany? Near Düsseldorf, which is very close to the Dutch border. We live like five hours away from Paris. Did you go to Paris a lot? Oh, we did, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we traveled a lot when I was a kid. What was your favorite place to travel when you were a kid? We traveled a lot as a family, we traveled all over Europe, so we traveled to Italy quite a bit and to France and I speak French so France was always a nice place to go to. Yeah, was that in school, it was taught? Yes. Yeah, yeah. and English as well? English and Latin and yeah, <laughs> yeah, one of these old-fashioned schools where you actually learned Latin still. Yeah, yeah. and do you know all these languages still? No. (laughs) You know, yeah, I mean, I still speak French, but I always have to get back into it. And Latin, I can still read some, but you you forget, unfortunately. When you don't practice a language, you you forget. And I'm bilingual with the speaking English and German more or less all the time. So in a way, I always think in two languages at all times, right? So, so, So you have these two languages that are part of your life where you communicate with all the time. And then these languages where you don't do that, you just forget. Yeah, yeah, you kind of have to practice it to keep it in the brain. Yes. The brain can only hold so much. Exactly, yeah. Yes. So how did horses come into your life and when? Pretty early. I was a kid. I was nine years old when I first got to meet horses, actually. And I grew up in the countryside, but I loved animals and I loved mainly cats and dogs. And I found horses interesting, but more from a distance. And a friend of mine wanted to go horse riding. And I went like, oh, oh, really? And hmm, should we? And, and I was like, I think I was feeling, why do you even want to sit on an animal? because uh, I loved being around them, but really sitting on them was like, why would you want to do that? And she said, well, they've got kittens at the barn and I was <laughs> totally into kittens. So, so I went with her and then they said, you want to ride? And I was like, mm, yeah, sure, right. And I, I got on and it, I felt it was really wobbly and hard to balance, so much harder to do than I had expected. Were you in a saddle? And yes, it was, okay. it was a saddle, a dressage saddle. And you know, when they cinched it, when you have to put the leg in front of the saddle mm. so that they can cinch it, that very first experience of the, the instructor cinching the yeah. saddle, and I'm feeling like, oh, this is wobbly up Relying here. Relying on your own body to kind of like, yeah, pull yeah, yourself up. Exactly. And she said it's going to be much more wobbly than this in just a moment. And I was like, yeah, that was really true. So, so let's, let us ride. And I was hooked. You know, it, was, it just happened so quickly because I think I really understood what it was like to be on an animal, right? Which I hadn't really understood before. But then I was like, wow, the animal's carrying you, 
right? You are being carried. When Trusting. do you ever have that in life? Exactly, right? You have to trust the whole process. And then you have kind of control over this huge animal. And then also the communication that starts happening. And obviously not so much in the beginning when you're more or less concerned about staying on. Right? <laughs> Flopping around up um, there just trying to keep your balance. Exactly, <laughs> right? Well, it's, it's not so much about the nuances of riding, but after a while, like understanding, I can actually communicate with my body to the horse's body and find this connection. And yeah, that's when I was hooked. Yeah. And yeah. so did you take continuous lessons after that? I did. And I kept riding lesson horses throughout my teenage years like always saving money to really spend all the money on the whatever two or three lessons a week that I could afford and these were not the best trained horses and I got yelled at a lot from my from my instructors and these horses bolted with us and they spooked a lot and they bucked and and so you know it was in a way, it's kind of surprising that you just keep doing it and you just want it. And I just wanted it so much. I really wanted to become a really good rider. That was like right from the start, I felt I want to improve my riding, become the best rider I can possibly be. Also for the horses, right? Not so much because I was really ambitious. I, I was, but not that was not the main point. The main point was that I could feel that there is a level of communication that you can have as a rider that I was yearning for. Mm -hmm. right? I was really feeling if I can get my body under control and use it in a way that I can really communicate with the horse and find that harmony and find this oneness, that's what I was after. I wanted it so much, but it was really hard because we did not get a lot of good instructions and, you know, it was just this heels, heels down and sit up straight and you're all crooked and that wasn't too helpful. And, and gets you tense and gets you afraid. I had tummy pain before I drove to my lessons because I was really afraid of that yelling instructor. I was yeah, afraid of these bucking horses, <laughs> but I still, I just wanted it. Right? Yeah. I wanted that connection. I wanted to hang out with them. I spent an hour in the barn just grooming them and, and hanging out and, and so wishing to really learn how to, how to ride better. Yeah, did you ever seek a different instructor? There were not a lot of choices, right? We just had this one instructor and it was just kind of always the same. But we had an assistant instructor one day and I had a really bad posture as a teenager. I was really slouching and I had always been told to sit up straight and always try to do it and get all tense. And that instructor, that assistant instructor said, think of lengthening your tummy. I was like, oh, lengthening my tummy that sounds interesting right Maybe you were slouched down because your tummy was hurting and so you were already kind of <laughs> yes and and also you know the fear posture when you go into this fetal posture and we're just you know all tense and and trying to hang on and all of that and but this just that simple image of of lengthening my tummy really worked for me i was like wow there's actually someone who can use a language that I can understand as a rider and that instantly changed my posture and the way I was riding. And I thought, right, this is, this is what I first of all want to use more for my own riding. But I had also already toyed with the idea of doing this professionally. And so I thought like, if I become an instructor, I want to be able to do that.
right? I want to be able to do that for my writers, have images and and have ideas and really cues that will really help the writer change without having to practice the same thing over and over and over and just basically just practicing the same mistakes over and over. Yeah, creating negative habits. Yeah, really exactly. Or not getting out of the habit, right? Yeah. When like me slouching as a teenager, because I'm really tall, so I wanted to be a lot smaller, etc., all of that. So like getting out of all these habits was just trying, didn't do a thing, but this one image actually changed things for me big time. Yeah. And so, do you remember at what age you were toying with the idea of being a trainer? I think I was 16, 17, when my school years were coming to an end. And it was like, what are we going to do as a profession? And I was like, wow, I would really love to be around horses and help horses. And then the first thing you think about is maybe I want to become a vet. But then I had this kind of sad story where one of the lesson horses was really sick and uh, had navicular disease. And we were always told that they were sold, but we all knew that they were going to the slaughterhouse. And that was my favorite lesson horse. And I knew that she was probably going to be slaughtered and I couldn't do anything about it. And I stayed with her at the barn in her stall and, you know, crying into her mane because I, I was really so sorry that I couldn't do anything. I was totally helpless. And I thought, oh, if I, if I were a vet, maybe I could help her. But then the next thought was like, well, the vets have tried to help her. Well, there's nothing they can do at that stage and the owners might not be ready to pay for it and then you know this this whole thing that the vets are actually really struggling with too was like okay may, maybe vet is not for me but i thought another way to really help the horses to improve the riders make the riders better because if that horse had been ridden differently it probably not, would have not ended up with that disease and so I thought, well, this, this could be really a profession I could really get into and really teaching riders to ride the horses better and make the, the horse's life better through that. Yeah. So. so how did that journey, once you figured that out or started thinking about that, how did you start that process? Well, talking to my parents, <laughs> yes, <so we're> <laughs> which, <laughs> which um, ended this idea, at least for a moment. <laughs> so, so because my parents had really thought, uh, I will go to university and have a university degree and all of that. And when I said that I would want to work with horses professionally, especially my father was totally upset and, and he talked me out of it. And he said, you know, you go to university and then check it out and you can always keep it as a hobby, et cetera, et cetera. So I actually went to university and I have a master's degree in economics. In economics? <laughs> yes. Okay. And what was the plan with that? I wanted to work in environmental projects. Yeah. And this was all in Germany still? That was still in Germany. Yes. Yeah. So that was the idea. And I wrote my master's, like the project in the end on Greenpeace. Okay. And were you still riding horses? I was still riding horses and I had not really given up on the idea of doing horse stuff. Mm -hmm. And then through really working more in the environmental field and, and getting an idea of how much would have needed to happen and did not happen, 
I felt like, oh, this will probably frustrate me a lot in my life. And so I was toying again with this idea of going back to my childhood dream and working with horses. Yeah. And, and I did. So after I had held my master's degree in hands, I signed up for a two-year full-time training in training horses and especially, and it was a very specific barn, they were training people to teach clinics. Ah, okay. Right, so you were really learning all the pieces that you needed to actually teach a clinic, hold a group, use imagery, use body awareness exercises. So it was very progressive at that time. And I had the chance to actually work there for two years full time, be trained. And my thinking was if I, after these two years, I still want to do it it's probably a safe bet that that's going to work out, right? If not, after these two years, I will know. And I knew that I wanted to stick around with this. Yeah, so did you enjoy that experience, the two years? I did, and it was hard at the same time, right? It was tough, and but it was tough enough to really show me all the sides of the profession, right? The good sides, but the not so good sides either. So after these two years, I knew what I was up for, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that was the most important piece. And I, that's what I wanted, right? I wanted these two years to really get to know the real, all of it. Yeah, the yeah. real stuff. Did they teach you kind of the business side of things as well? Not really, but at that time, people were really interested in that clinic style and this more progressive way of teaching, and we're talking 30 years ago, right? So it was not common knowledge at that time, and we, you talked about body awareness and imagery and all these things that people use more and more these days. 30 years ago, no one really talked much about it, so it was a very efficient way of teaching, so it had a really good reputation. So I did not even need to do a lot of business stuff because people heard that I had taken that education Mm -hmm. and then they would book me for a clinic. Yeah, it was probably easier. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. They would just find you instead of having to market yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was all still in Germany. That was all still in Germany. When did you come to the States and what did that look like? I moved ten and a half years ago. Okay. So not that long. I've always wanted to live abroad. And then I won the green card lottery. Oh, okay. So, so I actually got the chance to move to the States. And I fell in love with San Francisco when I first visited in my early 20s. Uh, and I felt that's a place where I really want to live. What, what about it? I'm not even sure. I think it's, it was this mix of water and people, the sense of freedom, the sense of innovation in all kinds of aspects and and also just really driving around. I was driving around in the bay and exploring everything and it was just fascinating, right? It was just in, in all of its aspects. It was just fascinating and open and again like something progressive and yeah. I felt like this, yeah, this this is a place where I would really want to live and I had traveled a lot so I had seen lots of places but I never really felt this this is where I want to live. And then 25 years later, I actually managed to move. Yeah. And so did you move here all by yourself? With my husband. With your husband. Yeah. Okay. And he's German as well? He's German as well. Okay. Yeah. So then what did that, did you guys move to San Francisco? Yes. Okay. Yeah, not the city itself, but the Bay Area, right? And we moved, we moved a lot in the beginning. We came here with nothing. We had 
two suitcases each. We had our dog, we had a bike, yeah. <laughs> we had a hotel room for a week and we did not have a job, neither one of us did. We did not have a lot of savings, so we were really like, okay, now we have to make this work. So I think we moved about nine or ten times in the first couple of months. So, wow. <laughs> you know, staying here for two weeks and then staying there two, for two weeks and in different places and me exploring how, what bonds are out there, doing a lot of networking and things like that. Yeah, and were you already clinicking in Germany before moving to the States? Yes, I had been clinicking in Germany for 20 years at that stage. Oh, wow. Okay, so you had a name for yourself, at least out there. You hadn't done any clinics in the U.S. yet? Not yet, because okay. I did not have a green card before that, right? So I needed to wait for the green card to really work here. I had a reputation in Germany already, but then here I needed to, in a way, start from scratch, right? And so I had to meet people and for the first couple of weeks when it was not really picking up yet I just felt let me show you what I can do. <laughs> I did have a website I had these uh, pieces in place but then people you need to make people look up yeah. your name so that they can find your website just putting that website out there is not going to do it yeah and we all know like when you're at the barn if someone just comes walking in like hey i'm this person go look me up this and that they're mm -hmm. usually in the middle of doing something so yeah gonna stop and yeah yeah and people had to get to know me first before they get, they get even interested in what i was doing right yeah. and so i networked and then i was actually able to give the first lessons at the Red Barn in Stanford, actually. So that was a good starting point. And then people saw what I was doing and I had my first little successes and then they started talking about it and, and then I actually started building from there. Yeah, and what was the hardest part about all of that? To keep moving forward and being patient and really taking one foot in front of the other because there were moments when we were feeling, oh, that's going more slowly than we had hoped for and just not giving up right you keep moving forward not freaking out about the bank accounts going down yeah. you know just keep moving keep going through the motions and keep talking to people and and not being frustrated by the things that are not working looking for the things that are working and this is what i always teach my students too like in writing look for the things that are already working so that you can start building up on those. And I really had to keep telling myself exactly that when we move, because there were moments where we're close to, well, we're not really close to giving up. We really wanted to do it still, but it was, it was hard. It was harder than we had really expected, I think. Yeah, how long did it take before it felt like things were really falling into place? I had still a few clients in Germany and in Europe, so that kept us above water for some time. And I think it was about like half a year in when I felt things starting to pick up, yeah. right? Where I gained a little bit of momentum. I think the frustrating piece was the beginning when I didn't really have the momentum yet. Mm -hmm. And when there was a little bit of momentum building up and then you have worked at one barn and then you, you find other people somewhere else and it started building and the client base started building. That was about half a year in, I'd say. Okay. Yeah. And how often were you still going overseas and doing clinics? Four times a year, actually, in Four the beginning. Times a year. Okay. Yeah, so it was a lot of traveling in the beginning. Yeah. yeah, and then once things picked up in the States, did you do that less? 
Yes. Yeah. yeah, I did that last. I still traveled to Europe to see my parents, but my mom passed away in 2016, and then I you know, dropped back to about like once a year or so. And then with COVID, I did not travel in a year and a half. <laughs> and now I'm back to about once a year, but I'm not teaching that much in Europe anymore because it's, I have my client base here now. When I travel to Europe, I do it for fun and vacation. And did you start getting different states? And like, do you do anywhere in the US or what does that look like? I do, but now I've, I really have really a nice client base here in California and that keeps me busy but I'm open open to traveling throughout the US yeah. so I'm open to it but I have not done that much yet okay mm. and do you have your own horse yet I used to have four I had my own ranch and I had four horses and I had to give them away when we left Germany I had to find places for them and and also letting go of the ranch and all that was pretty heartbreaking so when we came here, I was like, okay, I'm not going to have a horse straight away. You know, let, let me give that some time. And I'm riding other people's horses right now. And I might want another horse again, but I find that I have really easy time connecting to whatever horse I'm meeting and can, can create that connection and this joy, like a joyful being together and an, a joyful ride. I can create that with horses that do not necessarily need to be my own. That you don't own. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever do any showing? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I grew up in the, in the German system with the, you know, dressage and show jumping and eventing. And I also have, I went through the licensing trainer licensing level in germany they've got different stages of licensing levels and i'm a trainer a which is the highest level so for that you need to do a dressage test and a show jumping test and and jump quite nice fences <laughs> so i did that i did some eventing for fun my ex-husband had a western horse had an appaloosa so we did some of that and now i work with clients from all disciplines and all levels of experience. But I, I grew up in, in that, like conventional English writing. Yeah. Was there like the jumping or the dressage that you enjoyed more than the other? I love jumping. You love jumping? Yeah, I love jumping. But I also love, I've always loved dressage as well. And for me, it's not even so much distinguishing between the two because in order to really make it through a course in a nice and harmonious way, you need some really good foundational work. And dressage always sounds like, oh, you need the English saddle, you need to ride certain movements, etc. But for me, dressage is just foundational work where you get your horse into a good balance. And that could be anything. So I would call like practicing nice walk hall transitions with someone in a western saddle i would still call that dressage in a way because it's all about balance and really foundation training and so that's what i wanted to do anyways in order to be able to ride those jumps and at the same time i also like building more connections through different movements that you're doing with your horses so when you start moving the horses laterally for instance or let's say you pick up the canter from a walk the first time and then you write your first flying changes and then you write your first whatever half passes and things like that where you feel like oh there's actually more i can do more balance improve balance improve communication that's what i've always enjoyed about dressage riding too yeah 
And it must have been interesting because since moving here, a lot of that for you was other people's horses too, which is kind of cool because mm -hmm. every horse is a little bit different. Yeah. Too. Yes. And I don't work with jumpers much at this stage. I work really mostly with actually women over 40. <laughs> so it's quite a specific niche. And I help them to be more balanced and connected in the saddle, really work with the rider side, like using that imagery and really helping them to, to feel themselves and feel that connection, communication with the horses. And then, you know, that's true for every discipline, every level of experience. We all can do more, have more of that. Yeah. So when did you make the move from San Francisco? Yeah, and we live in Antioch, actually. In Antioch. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so it's, it's not that far. But, you know, we bought a house in Antioch a couple of years ago. Okay. And I've always loved the bay in general, and I would have liked to stay a little closer to the actual bay. But it's also, you know, financial reasons, actually. Right? We had a certain budget and we didn't want to go over that budget. And when you look at the houses that you can get for that type of budget in Berkeley, I was like, oh, okay, maybe we're not Berkeley this time around. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I wanted to get started and wanted to have a, like a good foundation for everything and not go crazy and be able to really sustain yourself. Right? Because that business, the horse riding business, as you know, it can be a zigzag, right? It can be moments where you, you make money and then there will be moments where you make no money, right? So you have to really make sure that you create something sustainable for yourself. And yeah. that's, that's what we were doing. And that's another reason why I don't really have horses at the moment because I would always want to be able to offer the horse that I can keep it forever. Right, and uh, depending on the financial situation, might not be able to keep that promise. And so that's another reason why I'm not doing that right now. Yeah. And so with your business? It's the intuitive writer. The intuitive writer. And how did you come up with that? Now, I see my job as making the things that the writer might already do intuitively correctly make that conscious. Now, because I find that lots of writers do things already that work and where they're already connecting, where they're already feeling themselves, etc. But then you want to make that repeatable. You want to be able to get on your horse and know exactly what you're looking for. What's the movement underneath you that you're looking for? What exactly needs to happen in your pelvis, right? How can you use your breathing, etc., to deepen that connection and your awareness? So that's where I see my work, and that's why intuitive is, is a good word. And I'm also a meditation instructor and yoga instructor, so I work a lot with that intuitive side of being a human. Not, not just a horse rider, but also human. Yeah, and when did you get certified with the yoga and meditation stuff? That was 15 years ago for the yoga. Actually, both more or less at the same time. It's, it, was, it were different schools, but I, had, I took a three-year training, full-time training also for regression techniques and meditation. And so I was getting certified to do that. And uh, that's not really a certification program. It's more like when the teacher felt you were ready, then you could uh, teach and, and do these things. And then the, for the yoga, I really took, took a training and took the tests, etc. So, yeah, that's, that's been 15, 
Yeah, almost 16 years now, so quite some time too. Yeah, and that was before, you said you moved here about yes. 10 years ago, so that's yes. before in Germany. You did yes, that. yeah. Cool. Yeah, I did the yoga teacher training in India. Oh, wow. Yes. Cool. Yeah. And why did you choose India to do it? Because it was, at that time, the actual training with the test was about like four weeks long. And you could either do it in Germany or you could do it in India. And it was more or less the same price, first of all. It was like, wow, I'm going to India because that's going to be so much more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's, uh, that's when I decided. It, it was a no-brainer for me. I, I love traveling. I, I love experiencing different cultures and things. So I was like, of course, I'm going to do it in India not in Germany yeah so that was easy and is it pretty similar the cult the horse culture here and in Germany in terms of what you're teaching and like people taking to it with my clientele it is because I'm, I'm really focusing on leisure riders some of my people are also competing but most people are just really interested in connecting more with their horses, understanding their horses better. They've got their own horses, but then they want to, no matter what saddle or bridle they are wearing, they want to improve their balance and the horse's balance. And then I have like gated horses in there. I've got Western riders in there. Some people who are interested in dressage or classical dressage, some endurance riders. So really from everywhere. And that was the same in Germany. You know, it was kind of the same clientele. And also these, like women over 40, it's, it's very, very spe special clientele, people that have the patience to feel themselves and understand themselves and, and really wanting to improve. Yeah. So how did people start hearing about you once you did start clinicking and that it was just sort of word of mouth and then one person would hear about you and then talk to somebody else at another barn? I tried all kinds of things. Word of mouth is always the best. But what I'm doing now is that I offer free presentations. So I contact Barnes and then I say, are you interested in me coming over for two hours in an evening? And we do a presentation where people can actually do exercise with me and I like, see changes inside of them instantly for free. And then from there, almost everybody wants to sign up for a clinic, <laughs> right? Because they, they see the effect. And I always felt like, let me show you what I can do, right? And that's a great way to do that. And I do that online as well. So I've got lots of online things going on now and uh, different free things online as well, where people can check things out and then see how that works for them. And from there, then obviously people are also ready to spend money when they know what they are signing up for. Yeah. And so do you have almost like a subscription-based platform? Tell yeah. me a little bit about that. Yeah, I have different programs and I have one subscription base where I actually transformed a program that I had last year, which was really like a very step-by-step -step program. I transformed that into a subscription where people go through different topics month, month by month. And what's so great about that is people can really understand one concept in writing. Let's say, what do I really have to feel underneath me? How does the horse really move? What do I really have to do with my pelvis? They can really understand these things. And we spend an entire month really feeling these things and taking our time to go back to this. And that works for everybody. If you're a beginner rider or if you, I have some Grand Prix riders in my clientele because these things are usually not being paid attention to, they're not being taught much. 
most people don't use imagery in their teaching, which can be so powerful because then it's not just repeating certain movements where you don't even exactly know what you're doing, but you're really understanding what's happening inside of you. So that works really well online, actually, because people have the time. They can watch the recordings again. They can ha have little videos on the way that remind them of things. I do a meditation mindfulness class in that as well. So it's, you know, it's the fascinating thing about online. And we've all learned that through COVID, right? We've yeah. all learned really the advantages of working like that. And I, I think it's fantastic because you can revisit things. You can pause the button when you, and you can rewind if you want to hear something again. You know, it's, I think I love it. And plus like having these Zoom classes with people from Japan and people from Australia and people from Switzerland, you know, it's, it's just amazing how that creates community and connection as well. Yeah. And did you, you've gotten people, I'm guessing, from all over? Yes, from the, the continents, actually, that I just yeah. mentioned, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. And was that offered before COVID or that was something COVID influenced? Actually, I had started that before. I, I taught, I started teaching online in 2016. Okay. So I've been, I've been in that for a bit. But then, yes, du during COVID, I built that whole platform a little bit more and bit more professional and you know you have to it's it's a learning curve you have to shoot the videos and make it understandable for people and and all of that so it, it is definitely a learning curve and it was a good idea to have something already there when COVID started I was I was ready I was like okay people if we can't work in person let's meet on zoom let's yeah. do that yeah. And are you kind of a techie person or you learned on the go or you had help with that? What did that look like? I'm kind of techie. Yeah, I can I fiddle my way through. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and I mean, I also, uh, luckily enough, my husband is a web designer. Oh, that is helpful. Uh, totally helpful because when I get stuck, I, you know, I fiddle a little bit by myself and then I go, Darling, <laughs> honey, <laughs> you know, now I'm stuck. <laughs> so, so it's really just great to have that help. But um, I took a couple of trainings actually specifically on that to, to get better at tech with that stuff. And also to make it as little techy for the people that are signing up as possible. It's quite techy, but people who are using it for them, it's very simple, right? Mm -hmm. They can just they sign up and they can just watch the video. So because most of my clientele is not super techy and they do not want to fiddle around with technology. They want it easy and straightforward and that's what we were able to create. So that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. And how do people find this? Going to my website is always the best thing. My website is www.theintuitiverider.com. So very straightforward. And there is actually, there's a little quiz on there. And when people take that quiz and that quiz tells you more about where you are at on your journey as a writer. So you get a good insight into that. And then you get a free video training actually with that. Oh. So a couple of things that we've just talked about, you'll find in that video training when, when you take that quiz. Yeah, that's super cool. Was that your idea to do a little quiz? I worked with the business mentors that actually got me to, uh, to pick that, that idea up. And uh, that's been really helpful to really work with people who help you really structure things and what do people really want out there and how do you find out what people want? Right? What are their challenges? And listening to what people need and want. So I, I've really learned a lot through them too. Yeah. And how did your parents feel when you 
chose this path? So my father didn't speak with me for a year. <laughs> oh, <no. Okay. laughs> so so that was that was definitely yeah that was tough right because yeah he had had different ideas of where I was going. He himself had studied economics, so he was kind of hoping that I was doing kind of the same thing which fathers seem to do. And and he said, well, you're far too intelligent to do this kind of work because he had this idea of like people around horses, they muck stalls all day long and they don't anything that's kind of smart and intelligent needs any kind of intelligence, right? So that was his point of view around that. So he was totally upset with me. And then we started slowly communicating again. And it started really turning around after a while. And then when I started the spiritual work, my father again was like, what's she doing now? <laughs> right, so I've kind of always shocked my poor parents and my mother was always relaxed about all of these things. She always said, oh, you know what you're doing, right? So she had that trust in me as a person. And my father was always like, what, what is this again? Right? What, what are you doing? I, I, I when I traveled, like, why, why are you going there? Right? What do you want there? He had always other plans for me that I chose. <laughs> but now we've got a really good relationship and he can see that, yes, it takes intelligence, right? And it takes hard it, work. It takes hard work and then you really need to build something and you need to be a good communicator and you know so there's so many things in this business where you really have to work on yourself and I, I still love this work and I think that's what he started seeing as well that this is this is what I needed to do there's not really it's not an alternative really. Yeah. I'm not an office person. I guess I can sit in my office and work a little bit on the back end on my membership, but that because that's about horses, <laughs> right? But other than that, I want to be out there and, and teach and be with people and all that. Yeah. And is your business where you want it to be with the online offerings and the clinics? I totally love what I'm offering because I can see the progress in people in the in-person stuff as much as the online things which came a bit as a surprise when I first started with this thought can you really teach these things online is that really possible and seeing that happen and getting the feedback from people that that sent me emails and go like oh I never knew about this and wow now it's happening and wow my horse is really responding I feel so much more confident I feel so much more balanced and all of that so I definitely love that but yeah, there's, there's room for more, right? There's always room for, for more people and more development from myself. I'm a lifelong learner. I've just signed up for another training that I'm taking, you know, so I, I always want to add to things. I'm really bad with routine, you know, when things are too much the same over and over. I start getting bored really quickly. So I always need new ideas, new things, things to try out and things to like communicate them in a different way have people feel their bodies in a different way and really improving so there's there's more there's there's definitely space and room for more i'm not i'm not sitting back and just looking at my my business doing its own thing right so i'm still really in the midst of it yeah and have there been kind of within the horse world some mentors or some inspirational people for you yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I've worked with a lot of mentors, actually also because I'm a lifelong learner, 
there are so many people that inspired me and I'm in a way a good student because I really listen to what my teachers tell me and I try things out and I also stick around for quite a while. When I work with somebody, I want to understand their system. And so I've, I've had a, a couple of really fantastic people and that this would be a long list <laughs> that we would, uh, could start now. And just, you know, starting really with the people where I did this two-year full-time training in the very beginning. Her name is Ursula Bruns, or was Ursula Bruns. Her business partner, Jochen Schumacher. And these two people, they were so progressive in the horse world at that time. And she brought in so many new ideas, different breeds from different countries, like gated horses uh, she imported to Germany where people had never seen gated horses before mm -hmm. and riding with a neck rein and riding with different equipment and trying equipment, le learning how to really teach people, not just yelling at them, but really the teaching process, all of this. So that was just an amazing start for me into this profession. And I, I think I really them a lot but there are lots of other people that owe, owe a lot and when you teach when you've been teaching for 30 years yes it's your own thing but you've created that own thing from the things that you've picked up on the way mm -hmm. right and with some things I don't even remember is this my idea where did I pick it up and how did I connect and combine these things in a in a new way but still like really building up on what other people have Really done. Are there any other pivotal moments that you can think of that kind of have brought you to where you are? Really pivotal moments. I had a really a couple in my life as well. I think one of the biggest ones was when I got my first horse. Because my first horse, his name was Ahat. I bought him for one D mark at the time, which is about one dollar. So <laughs> Uh, he was a warm blood, a big warm blood, and he attacked people. So he would go up on his hind legs and try to kick you with his front foot on your head. So he was really trying to kill you, basically. And usually horses don't do that. No matter what they go through, they usually don't defend themselves which is sad in a way, but he had been pushed so far that he had started defending himself in that way. But then the owner was, for good reasons, scared of him. So they were really thinking about needing to put him down, right? Because there was, was really no handling him. And when you've got a big guy like this on two feet, that's an impressive sight. But I felt I was, first of all, I felt really sorry for him because he was 10 years old, he was fit, and he was actually nice to ride once you got on his back, <laughs> right? It was difficult to really like handle him and all of that. But I felt, okay, I have to do something. I have to save that horse. And so, yeah, I bought him. And that was in my second year of that apprenticeship. So I had zero money to sustain myself, right? Especially because my father had cut off, uh, you know, all, all of the communication with me. So that was, you know, I was stuck with no money, no time really because I was in the apprenticeship. And I thought, okay, we have to make this work. And if we both just eat pasta all day long, right? you know? <laughs> so, something like that. So we have to make it work. 
And we did, we did. It, for some reason it worked out. I don't even know exactly why. I don't know uh, how that happened, right? How I could get that money together for it. I've, I have no idea how I managed to do it, but it worked out. And I had a couple of really big moments where he also started attacking me. So I had to become very clear about my boundaries and be clear about what I wanted. And I think what he taught me, and he definitely was one of my biggest teacher ever, what he taught me was that I had to be super clear about my boundaries. I had to sometimes really like use sometimes some force to really keep him out of my space and stay safe on the one hand. But on the other hand, I had to be very loving with him. So finding that mix of being really grounded and strong on the one hand, but being soft and loving and open on the other hand, is something that I feel has really changed me as a person. Cause that, and that's something that I'm really attempting to teach my students as well, that as a person, you can be grounded and clear about your boundaries, but you can stay soft and open and connected at the same time. And he definitely taught me that. And it took us some time and again, lots of ups and downs, but he stayed with me until he was 24. And then he, was, he got sick and we had to put him down. These were 14 years and he was such a funny horse actually and really, really smart. And I was when after that, especially the first year of really having the big, big issues and some really dangerous moments with this guy. And I wouldn't really recommend it to anybody. It was dangerous, well, really dangerous with that horse. We had just a really fantastic and very special relationship because for the longest time I was the only one being able to handle him. Yeah. Well, that's great that you can help him. Yes, I helped him, but I think he really helped me as so often, right? When we when we have a horse, and not even necessarily a project horse like that, but when, when we have a horse, it's mutual giving and taking, right? So you're doing, yes, you're doing something for, your, for the horse, but they are also doing so much for you. And I, I don't think I would be, first of all, the person I am today, but secondly, also not the instructor that I am today, because he taught me so much about being really, really clear, being very consistent in a very kind and friendly way, staying away from pressure when you can, but really this, like in this kind, clear way of communicating. That's really what he, he taught me, because when you put pressure on that horse, you would end up in a fight with a whatever, like 1,200 pound animal. You don't want to be there, right? No, so, no one wants that. <laughs> so you have to find other ways. And the consistency and the, still the loving kindness, these, these two things and the clarity, I think that's, that's really what I learned from him. Yeah. Cool. Well, if you're ready, we'll go into the whole question. So what is something within the community that you'd like to see evolve or change? And then how can you, if you're not already, help with that change? What I'd like to see change is that people were more present with their horses. Because what I oftentimes see is that also in, with my riders, like leisure riders that really want the best for their horses, they sometimes harm their horses because they're just not being present. For instance, they pull them to the mounting block. Mounting is a really good example. And they mount and they slam into the horse's back. And these are just kind of simple techniques that are 
easy to learn and that you usually just take a little bit of being aware of it and being present and not chatting with a friend while you're doing things with your horse. So these could be really easy fixes that are not happening, right? Because people, people think about other things and they don't really think that that's important. And these like taking all the little things really with the importance that they have and, and being present with them. I think that would really change horses' lives if people could be more really mindful and present with them in these, in these small things. And then, because riding is complex, you might not become the perfect rider for your horse, but being more present and aware of a couple of small things, that's, that is an easy fix. Yeah. I would wish for more of that. And how are you implementing this change? while teaching my students <laughs> so so i hope that will have a ripple effect <laughs> right like teaching teaching my students making them aware of these things and like really teaching these mindfulness classes as well where we go through things like that and how how can i lead a horse to a mounting block and be really with them cool so something i'm doing that i mentioned to you earlier is i'm letting whoever i interview ask me one question so is there something that comes to mind that you'd like to ask me? Yes, I would like to hear about a pivotal moment in your life. One pivotal moment. I would say probably getting my horse. So some people know me, some don't, but I have a horse that got to travel with Cavalia or Odiseo, mm. which is the spinoff of Cavalia. So he's a very fancy, very well-trained horse. I don't know much dressage. I've had maybe five or six dressage lessons in my life. But I got to tour with Cavalia Odiseo and fell in love with him instantly. He was one of the seven horses that I got as a groom. We get a distribution of seven horses that we work with. He was one right off the bat and there was just something about him that I loved. Even though on tour he was very grumpy, he, when you'd go in his stall he would actually like come at you sometimes, especially if you had a pitchfork to clean a stall, little things like that, which it's very far from something that I usually enjoyed in a horse, but I could see past it with him. So on tour, fell in love with him, and then I was planning on only being there for eight, nine months and then moving to Sonoma County. So within that, told the director, hey, when he's ready to retire, I'd love to adopt mm. him. Never actually thought it would happen, but I was like, here's the paperwork, you know, if it ever happens, cool. Then my last day of tour, I was in Vancouver, BC, helped put all the horses on an empty cargo plane, which was a really cool experience. Said my goodbyes to him, thinking I might not ever see him again. And then I actually got contacted, I'm totally guessing here, because I'm not good with timelines, but if maybe like two years later, a year later, maybe a year later, saying they were in Winnipeg, Canada at the time, and they're like, hey, he's ready to retire, we have some new horses coming in, blah, blah, blah. So I had to figure out within a month how to get that horse from Winnipeg, Canada, which is on the opposite side of the continent, to California. So I did, I found an amazing hauler and got him here within five days of that and have had him ever since, so that was in I believe that was either 2016 or 2017, and he's been like a huge pivotal moment for me. He's the first horse I've had as an adult where I'm doing all the payments, taking care of him, making the decisions for him, and which is, you know, very hard because I don't have a lot of money and I, you know, I work for everything. But he is 
so cool and he has such a cool background but he does have some trauma and he does have some things that we've worked through so but yeah he is my best friend and now all we do is go trail riding i just got a truck and trailer a few months ago of my own too which has been really cool and we just trail ride and he loves it and you know he lives in an acre pasture by himself and hangs out and yeah I think he, you know, this is his retired life, but he absolutely loves it. And I believe that he has helped me just as much as I've helped him with life, similar to what you were saying with all the horses that you're interacting with. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. he's been a huge moment for me of just reflection and, you know, him helping me and him being, like I said, my best friend. So yeah. it's been yeah. really cool. Beautiful. It reminds me of my Achat story, right? Mm -hmm. It's very similar. Yeah. Beautiful. They mm. do so much for us. And, you know, going through breakups or going through moving or going through all those things, like when I'm with him, that stuff doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like, I try very hard to be very present and especially trail riding for me because hiking or being in nature gets me out of all the stuff that clouds my brain. And so being able to now trailer my horse to all of these beautiful parks that we have around here by myself, just he and I. And I'm also so fortunate because he's traveled so much in life and he is so confident. He's like super confident in his own body and in me that I can go trail riding and go to the beach or go anywhere, just me and him. And he is completely fine. So he almost I feel he almost prefers going just me and him than with other horses because he's on the slower side. So when we're with other people, I kind of have to like, you know, keep him moving a little faster. And now with trail riding by ourselves, we just kind of go at his pace and it's great. So yeah, it's very cool. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Thank you for chatting with me. It was fun getting to know you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It was really fun. Of course. Bye. Hello again, and thanks for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. This is your host, Shauna Burke. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, don't forget to tune in every Monday morning for a new episode and a new journey. Follow along on Instagram and on Facebook for sneak peeks and a little bit of extras. And if possible, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Also visit www.stableconnectionsthepodcast.com and add your email to get added to the newsletter mailing list. See you next week. <laughs>